Welcome to the Dunwoody Community Church Podcast. We are so glad you have chosen to listen in to one of our Sunday services, and we hope that you will be blessed by today's message. For more information about Dunwoody Community Church, please visit us at dunwoodychurch.org. That's dunwoodychurch.org. Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You have heard me say many, many times that 1 Corinthians is Paul's response The Corinthian church sent him a letter and some guys to deliver the letter with a bunch of questions, a bunch of issues, and Paul's just been going steadily through these issues and answering them. And we're going to answer another one of his questions today. It's another question about the resurrection. So we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 from verse 35 to the end of the chapter. The resurrection body is what my Bible gives it as a heading on the title. So read along with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he determines, and to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh and animals have another. Birds another and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is of one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor. The moon has another. The stars another as well. And the star differs from star in splendor. And so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it's written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual didn't come first, but the natural, and after that was the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are made of earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I'll tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, And we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is another one of those passages that I think you've probably heard from before. If you've heard the Messiah, if you've read John Donne, these, these verses get quoted up, down, left, and right. They've entered into cultural literacy in the English language, and I truly gave thought to, you know, 
If my motto is like, read the Bible and don't mess it up, maybe I should just read this passage three or four times and sit down because it is powerful. But there are some things I get that don't necessarily make sense as we read and and Paul isn't arguing the way we're arguing. So I want to walk through this with you and sort of help you see what he's saying and and how, how it works for us as well. Everything he says in here could be true of us as well. They've asked him this question. And again, we're fortunate that he, he quotes the question to us. How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? That seems like sort of a reasonable question to me. I mean, if you came up and asked me that, you know, Jeff, what do you think? When, you know, I've got this birthmark. Do you think in the resurrection, will I still have this birthmark? Is it part of me? Or is that going to be gone? Or what's going to happen? I'd be like, I don't know. You know, that seems like a reasonable question to ask. Clearly, there's more going on here because Paul's response to them is not, oh, that's a really good question. Uh, The NIV that I'm reading from translates verse 36, how foolish. That's a really polite way to do it. Um, Really, if you want to get a little more literal, kind of what he says is, morons, idiots. I wonder if Paul's getting a little fed up at this point with all that's going on. If you go back earlier in the book, Paul Paul says something harsh and then he always adds something to it. But I'm not saying that to shame you. I'm saying that to encourage you. I feel like a father to you. This time, it's just idiots. Um, There clearly must be more going on. And if it's true to form with the rest of this book, they're fighting over this. I mean, the Corinthians are fighting about everything. If you just flip back through and just look at the headings uh, we've done in 1 Corinthians, they are fighting over leaders, they're fighting over style, they're fighting over money, they're fighting over status, they're fighting over marriage, they're fighting over food, they're fighting over the authority of people in the church, and they're suing each other, apparently, about some of these things. Like, this church is just constantly pulling apart. And so, probably... Probably that's what they're doing here too. They're getting into big fights about the resurrection body. Maybe it's like last week when there were some people were saying, well, it doesn't really matter if you're actually really resurrected, does it? I mean, probably they're saying, you know, it's the teachings that matter. It's the way you live. That, that's what counts. It doesn't matter if people are actually resurrected. Maybe this is part of their argument. Like, oh, come on. You know, like, what, what does it look like for a person to get resurrected? Do you think that, that ugly, decaying body just comes back to life? What are these, zombies or something? Like, they're arguing about what's going to happen when they get to the resurrection. And just as Paul did last week, when they said, oh, it doesn't matter if you're really resurrected or not. He's like, oh, yes. Yes, it matters. Let's talk about this. Again, he's really straight and direct with them. And he just gives them these examples of why this is such a stupid fight. He talks about farming. He says, look, you you take a seed and it dies, quote unquote, and you bury it in the ground, right? Just like a body. Look at that seed. What's it going to look like when it grows? Do you have any clue, looking at a seed, what is going to grow from that seed? And of course, the answer is no. If I showed you a pine cone and an acorn, which look really different, and I said to you, tell me what kind of leaves will grow. These are both trees. Tell me what kind of leaves will grow. Is anybody going to look at the cone and say, oh, those are going to be like needles, very narrow and thin and long and green. And when they die, they're just going to turn brown and fall off. But that, that acorn, clearly those leaves are going to be flat and broad. And when they die, they're going to turn vibrant reds and yellows and fall off. Of course not. You wouldn't have any idea. It's just a pine cone and an acorn. I went and looked through pictures of seeds as part of this sermon to find some seeds that look alike. If I gave you a coriander seed, an apple seed, and a wild cotton plant seed, so not the domesticated ones that we grow, but just that grows wildly, they all look exactly the same. 
I mean, they're all the same size. They're all the same shape. They're all brown. They're kind of different shades of brown, but there's no way if I handed you those three seeds, unless you are like really, really a master gardener, that you would be able to tell any of those seeds apart. You certainly could never look at those three almost identical seeds in your hand and say, oh yeah, this one's gonna be a little green plant. This one's gonna be a large bush, but wow, don't eat what grows on it. That'll stick in your throat. And this one's gonna be a tree and it's gonna have fruit. Paul says, you guys know about farming and you know full well you can't tell anything from the seed. Why in the world do you think you are gonna be able to tell anything about a resurrected body by looking at people who aren't resurrected? And he goes on, look at, imagine the natural world. Why do people look like people and cows look like cows? Why do cows and people have live young and fish and birds lay eggs? Why is one star brighter than another star? Why does the sun shine and the moon doesn't? It just reflects. Any, do you know the answer to any of these things, Paul is saying to them? And of course, the answer is no. We have no idea. If I showed you two balls, right, and said, here, one of these is the moon and one is the sun, right, which one do you think is going to explode in a giant nuclear furnace? It's just, it's just two circles. Why? Why are all these things the way they are? Why do seeds look different in the plants? Why do people look different from animals? Why do stars look different? It's all in verse 38. God. God gives a body as he determines. To each kind of seed, he gives it its own body. All the stars are the way they are because that's the way God made them. All the seeds are the way they are because that's the way God made them. When God resurrects people, Paul says saying, they will have the bodies God wants them to have. Why are you fighting about this? Imagine you came to church one day and you found the staff like out in the yard and we're all looking at this seed. And we, none of us know what it is, but we're fighting about it. Right, I'm saying, well, clearly that's a tree. I mean, I'm the senior pastor, I can just tell. That's, that's clearly a tree. And Jordan's saying, tree? What do you know about trees? Your degree's in classical Greek. So, no, that's clearly, that's clearly a plant. Anyone can see that's a plant. And Becca says, what are you talking about? I'm from Ackworth. That's way more country than any of you city people. That is clearly a bush. I can, I'm a country girl. I could tell that's a bush, right? We're, we're all arguing. Tim comes in and says, you know what? That's a fruit tree because I like fruit. And so I'm going to call it a, a fruit tree. Like, like, wouldn't you walk away saying what Paul's saying? What's with those idiots? How do you know? You have a seed. You don't know what it is. Like you bought some seeds and they got all mixed up. How do you know what that seed's going to become? You plant it and it grows. That's the only way you are ever going to know what a seed will become. Paul says, that's what's going to happen to us. We're going to get planted. And then, Paul says, then you will see what our bodies will look like. And so he goes on, starting in verse 42, to tell them what he knows about our resurrected bodies. Not what they're gonna look like, but what they're gonna be like. And we actually are probably in a better place than Paul was to do that. Because Paul's writing mid-50s AD. None of the gospels have been written yet. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they're all gonna be written like in the, from the early 60s on through the 70s, maybe into the 80s. When Paul's writing, he's at least 10 years before anyone has gathered all these stories about Jesus or, or like Mark, interviewed Peter, talked talk to one of the apostles and, and written it all down. So there's probably lots of stories floating around about Jesus, 
But we know from the Gospels what Jesus looks like when he comes back from the dead. He's the very first person ever resurrected. He's the first person with a resurrection body. What's his body like? Well, on the one hand, it's totally normal. Everybody recognizes him. They know who he is. They know he's Jesus. They can touch him. He's physical. He eats. He has a mouth. He talks. He has ears. He listens. He has eyes. He sees. He has a body that it just looks just like our bodies. Like nobody's looking at him and he's glowing or anything like that. On the other hand, um, he can walk through walls and locked doors. It looks like he can teleport. At one point he flies. At the end of Luke, he just up into the heavens. Okay, that is not like our bodies. He's got a body that kind of looks just like ours and yet, wow, um, it can do some stuff that ours can't do. And that kind of plays into Paul's argument. Would you have guessed that? If I said to you, okay, you know, you're gonna be resurrected. What do you think you're gonna look like and what are your superpowers gonna be? Well, would you have said, oh, we're gonna look just like me, right? Everybody's gonna recognize me. I'm gonna be physical and be exactly the same, but I'm gonna be able to teleport, walk through walls. And again, I'm not sure if that's just teleporting through the wall or like physically going out of phase and moving through it. it the Bible doesn't tell, it's hard to know. Or, and flying, you know, whereas if you put like laser beams coming out of your eyes, at least Jesus doesn't appear to do that. So whatever other superpowers you may have come up with, like, we're in maybe a better place to answer this than Paul is. But Paul goes on and talks about, we have a perishable body. We have a body that's subject to decay. It's subject to ruin. It's falling apart. Anyone who's over 30 knows this to be true. Our bodies are falling apart. They are betraying us. And the older we get, the more they do it. And Paul says, that's what you've got now. But you're gonna be raised with an imperishable body, a body that's not subject to decay. It's not subject to ruin or corruption. It, nothing will ever go wrong with it. Everything will always work. He says, our bodies are dishonorable and weak now, but they'll be, they'll be glorious and they'll be powerful someday. Again, he's not telling us what they're going to look like, which seems to be kind of what they're asking. He's telling us what God's going to do. And, and then he gets to the crux of his point in verse 44. We have a natural body, but one day we will have a spiritual body. Now, spiritual body, that's kind of an oxymoron. A, a body is by definition physical. And the spiritual is by definition not physical. That somehow, Paul says, we are going to have this body that is both a physical body. And again, you could touch Jesus. He could talk to you, right? His vocal cords made the air vibrate and you heard him with your ears, just like any other normal body. We're going to have this body that is physical and yet it's also spiritual. He walks through walls. He appears from, he's, he's in one place and then he's in another. He just flies up into the air, up into the clouds at one point. We have a body that both really appears to be just like ours and obey all the normal rules. You know, Jesus isn't floating, right? He's not like hovering, any Mario fans. He's not Princess Peach, just sort of hovering right above the, the, the level. And he's not falling through. You know, it's not like no, no matter ever touches him. He just straight through into the basement or something. He, he can walk on things and yet he can also walk right into a room that where the doors are locked and, and it's enclosed. He has a physical body and yet it's a spiritual body. It's some sort of hybrid. 
And Paul says in verse 50, oh boy, that's really, really important. It is really important that, that we had Adam's body, the body made from dust. We will add to that Jesus' body, Jesus who, who came from heavenly. We were earthly people. One day we'll be heavenly people. And you have to, verse 50, because I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. That we need a new body. We need to be resurrected. We need to be changed and transformed so that we can be in God's kingdom. The, the physical, the flesh and blood, we can't live in God's kingdom. You know, we have two problems in our mortal lives. One is sin. Our sin, doing what is wrong, has separated us from God. It broke our relationship with God. That's true everywhere of everyone. You know, if I walk over and slug Mart at the end, Mart, that was the worst prayer I've ever heard. Wham, right? That's sin. I have sinned against Mart. Do you think our relationship is in a good place right now? No, of course not. My sin has broken that relationship. I will have to apologize. He will have to forgive me. There will have to be some restitution that happens in there. Our sin has separated us from God so that we can't be with him. That's our first problem. And Jesus deals with that problem on the cross. He dies for our sin. He takes our place. He didn't do anything wrong. He didn't have any sin. He trades with us so that he gets what we should have gotten, our death, and we get what he should get, which is commendation and praise. You did everything right. Jesus deals with our sin on the cross. But we've got another problem if we want to live with God. Because, okay, great, now our relationship is healed. That's good. Now we can be together, right? And we've all seen those terribly sad movies, right? When the hero and the heroine finally, through many struggles, get together, and then he dies. And that's it. That's the end. Separation. Death. Death is the final separation. I read an article once from a writer, the writer who wrote Sophie's Choice. If you've ever read the book, it has two endings, it has an ending where they separate and an ending where they don't. Because he says in our modern world, death and separation is the only ending. No one believes in happily ever after. We know the only ever after is death. And so he's trying, he, wrote a, he wrote an ending that was that. And then he said, I don't believe that. And so he wrote an ending that was different, where they did stay together. He said, I do believe that can happen. We have that same problem. Even if our relationship with God is perfect, we're gonna die. I mean, that happened when we let sin in the first time. We're going to die and we're going to be separated from God even though our relationship is completely healed and restored. And Jesus dealt with that problem when he came back from the grave. Jesus doesn't just die for our sins. We don't just celebrate Good Friday. He also comes back. When Jesus comes back, as Paul says, he defeats death itself. Sin is our first enemy, but death is our second. And Jesus defeats both of them. He defeats sin on the cross. He defeats death when he comes back from the dead. You know the fairy tale of the, the mermaid and the prince, right? They can have a perfect relationship. They can be in love. There's nothing wrong. But she can never live in his world because she breathes water and she has fins. She has to be transformed in order to live in the prince's kingdom and the same is true for us. 
We have to be transformed in order to live in God's kingdom. And Paul says, it is going to happen. Just like Jesus dealt with all our sin 2,000 years ago, past, present, and future, everything you've ever done and everything you ever will do, it is all paid for. In the same way, Jesus ensured that we will be changed. For most humanity, it will be through death and resurrection. But Paul says, hey, not for everybody. Some of us aren't gonna die. We're just going to be changed because there will be a moment when the sky cracks open, the trumpets sound, and boom, everyone is transformed. If you're a Christian, you're alive at that moment, you are transformed. If you're a Christian and you're dead at that moment, you are resurrected. But we are all changed. We all get this spiritual body, this somehow hybrid between the physical and the spiritual that allows us to live in Jesus' kingdom. And so I'm sure you have heard these words before. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Jesus has defeated our enemy death. He has come back. That's why we celebrate Easter. He has come back. We will celebrate that in a bunch of months. Now, Paul could have ended the sermon right there in verse 57. Thanks be to God. He gives us victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. Honestly, that's where I would have ended the message. Like, wow, that's so good. That's so encouraging, right? I would end that and say to you, so remember that. Think on that, right? Hang on. That's coming. However bad it is now, that's where you focus your eyes. That's coming. Paul doesn't do anything like that. Paul doesn't say anything like what I would say. What is Paul's application to the fact that one day we will all be transformed? All of us, every single Christian throughout history, from the disciples, the apostles, the first people to believe him, all the way up to the people who are alive when he comes back. What does Paul say that means? Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Paul says, don't fix your eyes on the future. Fix your eyes on right here, right now. Why? Because you know that everything you do for God will last. It's like what we talked about in love. Faith, hope, and love, they all remain. They endure. They go on into eternity. Paul says, Everything, and he's really, he's just repeating himself. Every good thing you ever do will go on. When we are transformed, all of the good, all of the kindness, all of the generosity, whether it worked or not, whether it had the desired effect, all of that, Paul says, that will still be there. You see, I think we have two misconceptions about the end of the world that these guys didn't have. The first is, we think we're gonna go live forever in heaven. You're not gonna live forever in heaven. You're gonna live forever here on the earth. At the end of Revelation, the heavenly city comes down to the earth. And God dwells on earth with mankind again. Just like at the very beginning, God made Adam. And God walked with Adam on the earth, in the garden. That's where we're headed. Now, when you die... Like, okay, all bets are off on what exactly happens. Some people think your spirit goes to heaven and you wait there. Some people think you sleep in the grave and you wait. Some people think you just go outside of time and you go directly to the resurrection. 
You are welcome to believe whatever you want about that. Scripture isn't clear. But one of the things it is clear on is that we don't all live forever in the heavens. We all live forever here on this earth. And our second issue is we read things in the scriptures about how the earth is gonna be purged by fire. And we think that looks like a science fiction movie, right? You see the towns and the farms and the people and the airports and it's all spread out there and then this giant cataclysmic fire comes rolling across and just burns it all up. It's all gone. There's nothing left. That's not the language the scriptures use. When the scriptures talk about fire, they're not talking about forest fires that burn everything down. They're talking about metallurgy. They're using the language of purifying metals. When you find a lump of gold, there's a lot of other junk in that other than gold. You've got to purify it. How do you do that? You put it in fire. You burn it because all the junk burns off. The gold melts and you pour off the pure gold. None of the gold gets burned. Not an atom of the gold catches fire and burns up. It's all still there. The fire purifies it. When God purifies the earth with fire at Jesus' coming, all the junk gets burned up. But every good thing you have ever done endures. And God will use that as he remakes the world. And Paul says that back in chapter three, which, okay, I realize that was like February. Right? That was a lifetime ago. I mean, that's like eight years in COVID time. So he says in chapter three that everyone in their life, you're all, you're all building this metaphysical building. He says, and you can build out of gold and silver and jewels, or you can build out of wood and hay and straw. Either one will build the building. When the fire comes... When God purifies this world with fire, the wood, the hay, the straw, it all burns up. But the gold, the silver, the jewels, they don't burn. All the junk in them burns out, but they last. Paul says, you know one day we are all gonna be resurrected. You know the day is coming when Jesus will purify everything, get rid of all the junk. So work hard now. Work hard now because you know all those things you do that, that you never see the results. And things don't happen the way you want them to. And it never works out quite the way you hoped. Paul says all of that will be there. And all that extraneous junk that got twisted up in it, it will all be gone. The shortest book on my shelf in my library is DCC Benevolence Victories. It just usually doesn't work. We try and help people. Most of the time we don't. Most of the time it, either it doesn't last, that they lapse back into whatever the issue was that they were in before, or it turns out they're, they're trying to scam us, or something else happens like, I have pastored here for nine and a half years. We have helped countless people through benevolence. There are almost no success stories. Every single good thing you do, Paul, every time you try, that matters. The Lord will use that. All the junk that, yeah, it, it, it all got mixed up with junk and pride and sin and addiction and all these things wrapped up together. All of that will burn away. 
And all you will be left with is what was good and what was right. And the Lord will use that as he remakes the world. The world that we're all going to live in with him. God and man dwelling together. I want you to imagine you're, you're building a house yourself, right? You're pouring the footers, you're doing the wood, you're doing the plumbing, you're doing the electricity. And somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I just want you to know that one day the inspector will come and uh, he, there, if anything's wrong with the house at all, I mean anything, one single violation, he will burn the whole thing down. All of it. It's all going away. Would you keep working real hard on your house? When you know, <laughs> he'll find something. And everything's going to burn. That's it. It's all going to be gone. I mean, I wouldn't. I don't think you would either. Hey, go do something else. Rent somebody else's house and let it burn instead. But if you're building your house and somebody says, hey, the inspector's going to come one day. When he does, everything that's up to code, it will all be perfect. Everything that's not up to code, that's all going to go away. If the code says you got to use three-quarter inch pipe, but half-inch pipe is cheaper, so you bought half-inch pipe, the pipe's going away. It'll disappear. Boom, it's out. Right? If you're supposed to use two-by-sixes, but you use two-by-fours because they're not as heavy, they're out. Two-by-fours are gone. But everything you did right, everything that's up to code will last forever. It will never decay. It will never fall apart. That house will stand for eternity. Wouldn't that encourage you? to make sure you got everything up to code. That's what Paul's saying. Everything you do now in your life, it matters. Every time you try, whether you fail or you succeed, that's not the issue. Every time you try and do good, you try and do right, the Lord will remember that. It will endure into his kingdom. It will be part of his kingdom even after everything else is gone. You may know that there's a famous quote by Mother Teresa, which I'll paraphrase, which says something along the lines of, if you're kind to people, they'll take advantage of you. Be kind anyway. If you, if you forgive people, they'll sin against you again. Forgive anyway. If you do good today, it will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. And she's saying what Paul's saying. Right? It is not about whether you get the right results. It's not about whether your kindness is appreciated. It's not about whether your forgiveness is reciprocated. It's not about any of that. It's about God, us and the Lord. Paul says, you know, because you know you're gonna be resurrected, because you know God's gonna make everything right, and he's going to use all of the good that we have put into the world to remake it in his image the way it should be. Because you know that, Paul says, then keep working hard. You know it's not in vain. It sure seems like it's in vain here, now, lots of times. There are lots of times you try and do good and it feels like it's in vain because you don't see the results you want to see. Paul says, you will. You absolutely will. All of that dross will one day be burned away. And everything that you have done that is good and right, it will last through eternity. Paul encourages us both to remember that we will be resurrected. I mean, I, I do think he's encouraging us to, to remember that that is going to happen. But that's not where we're supposed to have our eyes. Oh yeah, I just got to make it to there. I just got to get to the end and then everything's okay. Now, Paul says, fix your eyes on what's going on now. 
and, and do all the good you possibly can because it will all last. It all matters. So I'm gonna pray for us. I'm gonna pray for you if you've been trying to do good and you're feeling like, wow, this isn't working, do good anyway. Remember what Paul has said, right? Yep, you may not see the results here in this present world, but you will one day. When that day, when everything is changed, boom, you will see the results. Maybe there's good you know you ought to be doing, but you're not, because it's kind of like, why bother? Why try? I know, I know this is gonna fail. Paul says, no, try. Even if it fails here and now, it doesn't fail in eternity. It goes in like love and hope and faith. It endures. It becomes part of the good new world that God creates. So let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you. Uh, again, we say what we always say. You didn't have to do this. You didn't, you didn't have to pay for our sins by dying. And then you didn't, ha- you didn't have to die and defeat death so that we could come be with you. Thank you. That is so, so kind of you. Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged by these words, that, that we would be built up by what Paul says to us, that we would remember, because I confess, Lord, I often forget. I often forget that the good that I try and do is not measured by what is accomplished here. It, it is measured by what will be accomplished in your kingdom when all the dross is burned out. Lord, help us to be steadfast. Help us to do exactly what Paul says, to stand firm, not to be moved, to give ourselves fully to the things that you call us to. Because if you call us to them, then they're good. And if they're good, they will endure all into your kingdom. They will become part of the world that you are going to remake when you purge all that is wrong from the earth. And all that is left is, is all of the good that your people have been doing down through the ages. Now, Jesus, encourage us. Holy Spirit, remind us. If there are places where we are not doing what we should be doing, then poke us, Holy Spirit. Remind us of these verses that we are to give ourselves to your work fully because we know it's not in vain. If we have stopped doing good because it just doesn't seem worth it, Holy Spirit, remind us. It's not about here and now. It's about then. It's about what you will do with with the good that we have attempted. Jesus, we pray that you would remind us because it is hard to remember. It is hard to look and see all that we try and do, and it does not succeed. It doesn't succeed here. Lord, be gracious to us. Remind us. Give us glimpses of what you will one day do with all of this, how you will take all of the good that your people have done down through the ages and remake this perfect new world where you will dwell with us. We look forward to that day, Lord. We eagerly look forward to that day. And until then, remind us of these words. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know it's never in vain. We pray in your name, Jesus. We are your servants. Amen.